we got there and now we have three minute ETAs across the country. That three minute ETA competes with the car that's parked outside your apartment or in your, in your garage. And that was necessary step one. Then we added shared rides, uh, which was part of step two. We've now added bikes and scooters. Uh, and we have a few more tricks up our sleeves over the next couple of years that we think provides a comprehensive transportation solution. It includes a car. I'm not saying cars go away. I'm saying the need to own a car outright and spend $9,000 every year owning and operating it, of which you use it 4% of the time, we can beat that. We can do better than that. Hello, and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, Transportation Editor over at TechCrunch. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the Communications Director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. If you're going to shill, so will I. I'm Alex Roy, the uh, Director of Special Operations at Argo AI, which I do not represent on this show. The founder of the Human Driving Association, which I often do, the producer of Apex, The Secret Race Across America. And apparently now, I, I thought I was also hosting this thing, uh, no parking and grant Is that enough things? Because today I learned that I might also be Tesla Q. And I didn't know. I didn't know that. I was wondering, do you, do you know what the qualifications are to join Tesla Q? Anyone? No, Ed, you don't count because you, you are. Just, you just, you just, ha- you just have to be I, a, ha- you just have to be a hater. Uh-huh. You have to be invested in oil stocks. You have to just take barrels of oil and like just dump them into the ocean. So technically, you, you, technically, Ed, you are, you are. You know, do you know what Tesla Q means? No, what you does know it what mean? What Q comes from? No, it comes from when a company goes bankrupt. They take the stock tick- ticker and add and a Q add at the Q. end. Interesting. And so it's basically, it was formed around, you know, a group of people who were predicting that Tesla would go bankrupt. Interesting. Because, you know, I, I uh, if I didn't have a Tesla as a daily driver, uh, there's only a couple other cars I'd consider. I'd consider like a Ford Mach-E. You've got, you've been Which, driving one. By the way, yeah. <laughs> you love it. You love it. Um, um, I, I, I would I consider it. a Taycan. I'd consider that. Because I, I want an electric car. What I find so interesting is, is this. Uh, if you... It seems very clear to me that if you believe in innovation, you have to believe in it wherever you find it. Like if you want to do good, you have to, you believe in anyone doing good. And, and the, the, the peculiar, the thing that, that I've been accused of is um, attacking Tesla versus suggesting that they innovate more, yeah. but they add a DMS. And I find that really, it's actually funny. It's almost like if Monty Python were young again, like the whole gang was back, it'd be something to, it, they would do something at an electric car company. Anyway, let's move on. But Alex, Alex, well, hold on. I mean, this has been this has been the 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 Tesla strategy from day one. Is that is that any form of criticism, no matter how constructive or true it is, is automatically called hating. Yeah. And every the, the attention is focused away from the issue and onto the person who's making the accusations, their potential motivations, blah blah blah. And I'll tell you something. It's been a very effective strategy. Uh, you know when there haven't really been like viable alternatives to Tesla, but having spent a week in the Mach-E, like other companies can do, you know, most of the good stuff that Tesla can, does. And so I think there's, they're lose, they're going to lose leverage, right? If there's no I, alternative, I tell you what, the, the thing, people, but the hinge that will turn everything is when charging networks that are not Tesla get reliable and good. But I would also invite all my friends who are Tesla owners. And I have a lot of them. Uh, who would like to learn 
about the rest of autonomy, um, bring it to my Twitter, please. And check out Ground Truth, the site I'm writing for that Argo is putting together. Let's move on to our episode, my friends. Wow, that I've was sh- like the longest shill session of all time. I've been shilling so- a lot. I'm going to shill because Ed is always shilling his book and he's Tesla Q and, and he's shilling. All right, guys, let's move on. Um, what's the topic today? Well, I think we need to talk about consolidation. Okay. We've already talked about it a lot, but I do think that we have another example. I think it was like the question that we want to answer today is, is there any room left for consolidation? There sure Um, is. Okay. But I suppose we should mention what we're talking about, which is the news that Woven Planet, which is AKA Toyota, um, and they have, they're really starting to make some noise, right? Like Woven City was what first debut and that was at CES. And now Woven Planet Holdings is sort of like the umbrella group. We saw the Woven Planet Capital, which is their venture arm. Its first investment that's made public at least is Neuro. And then this past week, they announced that they're acquiring um, Lyft's self-driving unit named L5 um, for 550 million, 200 million of cash up front, and then the rest spread out over five years, which by the way is like a steal of a deal. It's a steal of a deal because a lot of times AV companies are valued between 10 and $14 million ahead. And it sounds like this one went for like, is it 2 million ahead? What's the number? Um, well, they have about 300 people who are going to be moving over to Woven Planet, but they mm. had uh, many more people there previously. So I think some people might have left. Some people are being absorbed back over into Lyft to kind of continue with the real strategy, right? Which is they want to be the network provider. They want they they want to capture and partner with every AB company. And so we're, you know, we're going to talk to... I like that. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. But I don't want to get too deep into them because we do have someone who's coming on the show later today that is worth sticking around for. And you should definitely, you know... Hear, this, hear that discussion. You're not going to give it away, are you? I'm going to give it away. No, no, no. I'm not going to give it away. Um, so let's just talk in general, though, about... I mean, who's left? Who's left? Well, before... Can, can I shill some more? Can I shill uh, some more? Fine. For myself. Did sure. I not predict that the consolidation would be rapid and that L5 would be one of the companies that would go? Yeah, but we all said that, right? I mean, mm. you just say it a lot louder. Mm. But congratulations to Jody Kelman, who's been on our show, who is now, is her title, the new title, is it the GM of Autonomy? Well, so the- she's going to be kind of heading up the um, sort of the platform, the autonomous platform push. So, you know, Lyft want Lyft already has a relationship with Motional, which is the joint venture between oh, Hyundai, sure. yeah, Hyundai and uh, Aptive that Carl Yanyama is heading up. They already have that going on in Las Vegas. I believe Lyft also has a partnership with Waymo. Remember a long time ago when they partnered with Drive AI? I do. You know, it, it's like it didn't need to be Nostradamus to see that no one company could develop could could deploy L four in enough places to satisfy the, the demand of a national or international ride hail platform. It never made sense for these companies to bring do any development in-house, except maybe 
to have enough knowledge to suss out what would have to be multiple partners in the future. And now that's exactly what we're going to see. Yeah. And we're going to actually hear from our very special guest later on in the show who gets into the exact, you know, th- that whole mentality and strategy around why did Lyft do what it did and why was that approach? And one could argue, wow, that's like a significant amount of money. I mean, I don't know what the estimates are, but certainly more than a billion dollars spent over a, per- a period of four years um, at that company developing, um, you know, the developing a self-driving system, which is now in the hands of Toyota. I'm actually very interested in what's going on with Toyota slash Woven Planet. It's fascinating to me because you had Triad, then you had TRI, which was the Toyota Research Institute here in the US. Triad is the you know overseas version. And now it's called Woven Planet Holdings. I'm it, it was never called Triad. It was called T-R-I-A-D. I like calling it Triad because it sounds more mm. intense. You know, I haven't heard a lot about the uh, Guardian, like augmented driving system, parallel automation stuff. And that's what I really want to see because they've been really quiet about it ever since Gil Pratt talked about it at CES. And that, <laughs> can you imagine what the Tesla stands would have to say if <laughs> something like that came out of Toyota? Because that would be really innovative. So I think that they're still actually working on that. And I, I did, you'll have to, I'm putting in my newsletter, but I, interviewed James Kuffner the other day, along with a few other people, it was sort of a media briefing. And I asked that very question. Um, and, and he had a, a very long answer explaining it, but the short version is yes, they're still developing that. Good. <laughs> I just don't know when it's coming. I can't wait to see it. All right. So we're going to talk about consolidation and you, you want to know who else is going to go. Maybe we should pull up Sam Abulsamid's chart and talk about who else is going to go. What do you think? Sure. Also, I guess he did have that leaderboard that came out too, right? Yeah. I mean, I, we, I didn't know we have plans to talk about it, but you know, here, so this leaderboard, I mean, there's a lot fewer companies on it than there used to be. That's for sure. Uh, so for those who don't know, Sam Abulsamid from Guidehouse Insights, formerly Navigant Research, publishes, is it quarterly or every half a year? What, how often is it? It's annual. Annual. So he publishes this leaderboard uh, and the criteria change a little bit year to year as do... Well, I'm not entirely sure what the criteria changes are, but this time um, you have a lot of big companies and then you have among them May Mobility and Gaddock. So up top, all top and to the right, who doesn't want to be top to the right? You've got Waymo, NVIDIA, then Argo, then Baidu in the leadership category, which is, which is weird because I'm not sure how NVIDIA would fit up on that in that section. I asked Sam about that and he is, you know, he was like, because remember like several years ago, NVIDIA was on the leaderboard and, you know, the, the question was, well, aren't they just like supplying components, essentially tools to develop self-driving systems. And so I asked him about that. I mean, we should have him on the show to talk about it more, but he said, well, you know, NVIDIA is developing now self-driving systems um, and so that was the reasoning behind including it hmm. this time. Hmm. And so, and then you had Baidu. And then in the contender category, you have pretty much everybody else: Cruise, Zooks, Mobileye, and Emotional Aurora, Neuro, Yandex, AutoX. I, I find it interesting to f- include AutoX since it's hard to it's hard to parse what the actual performance is. I, I 
I don't know anyone who's ridden in the cars. Uh, but here's the weird one. And you have the Challenger section. May Mobility and Gattic are in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all the way below them is Tesla. May Mobility and Gattic, I'm not, I mean, they're obviously real companies. Um, but it's, if you had to, if you ask me who is right for uh, acquisition, be both those companies. Sure. I don't think you're going to see them on the start in a year. Uh, and then Tesla, all the way at the bottom, it's funny, the, for technology, it, the two axes in the chart are execution and strategy. Um, you know, if this were the ADAS chart, you could just invert it. <laughs> oh, yeah? You, you would put Tesla on the top right for ADAS? For, for ADAS, I think, maybe, yeah. Still? They're one software update away from being leading ADAS again. They're, they're one DMS away and six months away. They are. From well, DMS the best- requires, oh, I guess, because they have the, the interior yeah, cameras so on. Yeah, so two out of four of vehicles have a camera Alex, inside Alex, it. Alex, Colin Barnden was just on I, and like, completely debunked the idea that, that you can do this with software alone. Okay, but here's the thing. Follow me, okay? okay. The public, including most of the Tesla stands, are unaware that there are different levels of quality of DMS. Because Tesla, from an optic standpoint, they could just announce, we've got DMS, and let the chips fall. And then spend the next three years saying ours is good enough, even though by the standards of Colin Barnden and, and like the industry leaders, what they've got hardware wise is just doesn't cut it. That's what I predict is going to happen. I love how our conversation about consolidation in the autonomous vehicle market somehow cycles back to Tesla. Tesla. Okay, here's some consolidation for you. I predict that uh, I know Colin Barnden shot down this idea. I predict that. One or more, let's say there's five or six real players in the DMS sector. I, I predict that most of them will be acquired in the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and I believe that Tesla will acquire one of them. And just like Tesla will acquire some, uh, some sensor company and then declare LiDAR obsolete and whatever they acquire and put in the future cars, is that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to focus specifically on middle mile logistics. I think that there's going to be a lot of activity in there because so many, and we've already seen, you know, um, you know, Ike is now with Neuro and we should have them on again for an update and find out what they're up to. Well, Neuro in general and, and, and see what they're, what they're doing. Um, But we have Kodiak, right? We have Embark. Uh, Kodiak still independent. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Embark, like I mentioned, uh, to Simple. There, of course, Waymo's going after this. Gaddick is going after this. Um, we already saw kind of a shift with Udelve not doing their own SDS anymore, instead using Mobileye. But I, it just seems like there's there was so much attention on delivery and sort of the middle mile and also the Class 8 truck, like longer haul. I, it just seems like there's going to be a lot of movement the remainder of this year. Um, Do you think that Gaddick and May get acquired, that they're being acquired for technology? I'm not sure, but I definitely could see them getting acquired for having already been out in the ground and been talking partnerships for years. And that's like a rapid entree into that the, the business they were pursuing with bigger, better stacks. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, they're both pursuing totally different things, right? Um you know, in 1890 or so, uh, I think uh, Otis Elevator acquired 14 or 15 other companies in the span of a couple of years, just like just 
ate ate the American North American elevator market. And I, I I'm surprised that we haven't seen actually consolidation even faster and more by like a single player looking to just set SoftBank money on fire. But here's the here's the thing too about like the consolidation wave. You so you end up with a few players, but then there's always that like that second cycle of companies or small startups that start picking at the edges. So um, on fleet management or like carving out these little niches, maybe not doing the self-driving system, but like a perfect example of a company that is very big now is Scale AI, which is shown that you can have very lucrative business that isn't specifically developing the self-driving system, but is um, enabling essentially the development of it. So I'm kind of curious to see if there's going to be this wave, a continued wave of consolidation, and then a new group of, you know, the next startup founders coming around, you know, in a, in a year or two or more, um, once commercialization is maybe a little closer. Well, I could comment on that, but I wouldn't want to give away the secrets. Mm. I also, you know what company I haven't heard about from lately? who was doing something around trucking, but more on the ADA side is Cruise. Pronto. <laughs> Pronto. That was a joke because I woke up this morning and saw Kyle Vogt and Oliver Cameron in a Josh Constein, you know, clubhouse podcast, very juicy, sweet graphics. And, um, anyway, wow. Did you, did you know that you obviously didn't see that my face was also on that same thing where you it just, was. Oh, it was Josh Constein. <laughs> what? what? Sorry, I interrupted are you. You, were talking, are you, you want to talk about Pronto? You want to talk about this thing? No, I no, no. I, I will say this. So I just want to tease you a little bit. So you're so taken by the image of Kyle Vogt this morning that you actually didn't recognize that I was also on that. Wait a second. Let me look here. <laughs> you were on that? Is it because? Is it because you are the – you're not on this. Oh, well, I'm on it now. So maybe you should take it up with Josh Consi for not including you in the initial <laughs> graphic. I, uh, I'm looking at, I, I think it's what? because I hadn't given him an answer yet. <laughs> oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. So I, I don't mean to, to, to topic wander today, but explain this to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's a panel mm -hmm. on Clubhouse about so the future of self-driving cars. Mm -hmm. You got Kyle Vogt in this big... That's that's quite a picture. It's very handsome. Yeah. Um, and Oliver Cameron listed as Voyage founder. So two out of the four guests are basically crews, right? Um, and then Sterling Anderson from Aurora, uh, who is a very smart, interesting person, and I like him. Uh, and then Raquel Erdison, uh, yeah. who is former Uber. So basically, it's the Aurora Cruise Party. How did this panel get put together? I have no idea. I was just asked to participate. I have zero insight into it. This is a, you know, Josh Constein was, was at TechCrunch for years, but is no longer works out of VC now. So, um, yeah, I basically, someone reached out to me just like people reach out to you and reach out to Ed all the time saying, Hey, you want to come on and talk about autonomous vehicle technology? So, because the the panel I like to see is like Dimitri Dolgoff, <laughs> Sterling Anderson, Brian Zaleski take on the Tesla stands, just <laughs> in like Mystery Autonomy Theater three thousand. That would be truly educational and not a PR stunt. Anyway, go on. You were saying, Pronto AI. Very oh, interesting. I just Pronto haven't. AI. I haven't heard. I just haven't heard what they're up to. 
And they're I'm probably wondering... going to call after this episode airs saying we're coming on. And then two weeks later, they're going to announce they got acquired. Maybe who knows? We, I don't know what, what that team is up to or if they're around or what they're doing, but I don't know, Ed, you're awfully quiet today. Okay. He's vaping <laughs> while wearing his fancy headphones. Yeah, Ed, why are you so quiet? If it's not Tesla, you don't want to talk? No, I just haven't been able to get a word in edgewise. Mm, I'm done. <laughs> well, what do you have to say about consolidation? And I'm particularly interested in what you might, what your thoughts are about Toyota, Woven Planet. Yeah, my thoughts on Toyota and Woven Planet is is that it's very, they're very clearly um, taking a very long-term approach, which is a very Toyota thing. Um, and I think there, it also, you know, recognizes that the future that they're working towards, uh, is one in which the vehicle is no longer, um, disaggregated from its context, uh, where the vehicle and the, and the context are all sort of one integrated system, which is why they're building a city. Um, and, and that's all interesting. Uh, I, I think it's also, it's also worth noting that. Um, Toyota has been now deeply involved in to, to in different ways, but um, with uh, uh, with both Uber and Lyft's AV programs, um, they supplied vehicles to Uber ATG, and they uh, even they even had a deal. I don't know what happened to it, but to to use the Guardian system as sort of like a safety assurance uh, layer uh, on the ATG stack, um, and then now they, of course they bought the the Lyft thing. Um, so that's interesting, and and I I wrote a piece a couple of years ago now, um, saying that Toyota kind of won. Toyota was the real winner in the in the um, TNC wars and the ride hailing wars um, because it's helped them sell a lot of cars at a time when sedans weren't selling well. Um, yeah, I mean, isn't that Prius? Isn't the Prius like pretty much like the number one vehicle for Uber drivers? Yeah, it has been. Yeah, um, and and they've been increasingly offering sort of like integrated systems with like telematics and things like that. Um, uh, so yeah, um, uh, I, I think to me though, the, the most interesting part of this consolidation is that um, it's not actually the consolidation itself. It's thinking about now that uh, Uber and Lyft are no longer, you know, no longer have pretensions of developing their own AVs. They're no longer competitors to the, the you know level four developers, uh, what kind of new relationships does that open up? Um, because mm -hmm. I think I, I wonder if so. Like a, a, a Waymo, uh, just to pick an example, uh, because they they have their own like Waymo One app that people use to to hail rides, um, and they also uh, uh, are on the Lyft platform, but they they haven't been on the Uber platform, and one wonders. To what extent was that a, a you know a product of them? Uh, and and by the way, this is not like just to talk about Waymo. It's just it's just one example because they're already out there operating. Um, but uh, you know, so so the the real question is: to what extent do all AV developers now start to rethink uh, their go to market strategy and their partnerships? Uh, given that both of the major ride hailing platforms, uh, you know, are no longer a competitive you know, competitive with them in terms of uh, developing and operating AVs. It opens up some possibilities. We'll see. Cool. Alex, anything? Or should we go off to our guest, our special guest? 
Well, before moving on to our guest, I'd like to ramble briefly and search right. for a point that supports my point of view. Okay. Well, you never do that. So it's such an unusual activity for you. So go ahead. No, I'm done. Let's talk to our guests. He's a, a gentleman and um, I'm cool with him. All right. Well, our guest is uh, John Zimmer, the co-founder and CEO of Lyft. And he's going to talk to us all about their decision and, and why. So we're talking to John Zimmer from Lyft today. Uh, thanks for joining us, John. And we're, we're talking to him because they made a big decision or a big announcement. Um, and this decision, I'm sure, was in the works for some time. And, and that is that Woven Planet Holdings, which is um, a subsidiary of to- Toyota, has acquired uh, Lyft's Level 5 program, which we're not going to rip on the name Level 5 because we've done that on the show already. So it's over now. Level 5 is, is <laughs> the, the name is over. It's not but, over but, for me. <laughs> but, the, but the entity is now going to um, move over to Toyota. And so really wanted to talk to you about sort of the why. Why did you start it to begin with? Um, it was just, what, three, four years about ago? Three, about, yeah, about four years ago. And at the time... Uh, there were kind of two elements to the strategy. One is that we believe strongly that Lyft's platform is the best way to commercialize autonomous vehicles. And so we wanted to build out what we used to call open platform, uh, now run by Jody, who's been on your show, and uh, now called Lyft Autonomous. That was one element. But then we also needed to make sure that we had access to safe and excellent self-driving technology. And at the time, there really wasn't uh, what there is today which is several well-funded, very far along autonomous efforts. And so back then it felt way more strategically important to make sure we could control our destiny with the self-driving tech and also introduce a new uh, autonomous uh, approach. So uh, the team has talked about data-driven autonomy where they use fleet information and fleet data to better train the self-driving system. So we brought that approach to market and now We'll have Toyota's backing and Toyota's resources and Toyota's hardware platform to bring that uh, to be another well-funded competitor in the self-driving space. To me, it strikes me as, um, well, obviously a very expensive effort, you know, developing autonomous vehicle technology is not um, a small, trivial thing. Yes. And so... So, and, and I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars of investment Lyft made into this effort, but do you think that you wouldn't be in a position today without doing it, even though you're now, you know, offloading it, you're, you're, you've sold it. Um, had you not gone this route, had you not taken the effort to build up this team and develop self-driving, even though you're not going to launch the self-driving system yourself, that it was an absolutely necessary step or looking back now, do you think, Oh, maybe we could have, you know, rolled the dice and just tried to partner with a bunch of companies and not done this and not try to develop anything in house. It's hard. It's hard to totally go back and be, be honest about how I would have felt. (laughs) Um, I, I, you know, the way I feel today is that I I really don't regret doing the effort. Uh, That team led by Luke Vincent is incredible and they've, helped not only the L5 team, uh, but they've also helped the, the broader Lyft infrastructure, uh, just having great technologists in the company. 
Um, also, I feel like we know much more about how self-driving tech works uh, and the needs we have because we actually had our, our hands in it. Um, and you know, good news is we got a great outcome for the team. Everyone got a role, uh, and for the company, uh, you know, we're happy with the the commercial arrangement we have and the transaction we did. So, I think it, it worked out. Um, but uh, but it worked out because we we found a great home uh, with a great deal. So, I might understand that you're completely agnostic, and there's no exclusivity with this sale. That you would work with anyone who could offer an autonomous platform in a critical market. That's right. And that was really important to us. Uh, so Lyft, we believe in the power of our network with the, the fact that we have human drivers plus can have autonomous vehicles. We have marketplace tech and we have fleet uh, services uh, that right now the best approach is to be agnostic, to not have exclusivity and uh, let those with the best top technology bring it to our customers. So... You, you said something that was really interesting, I thought, that that it's actually the progress that a lot of other companies have made that kind of is one of the main motivators for for this decision to get out of, of the business yourself. And, you know, I think typically kind of where the, the perception dynamics are right now, people tend to look at a decision like this and assume, you know, the worst about the technology, right? Like they're getting out of it because they, you know, it's, it's going nowhere, it won't happen or whatever. Um, that's just kind of where people are with it. But But you say the opposite. On the other hand, uh, you know, and uh, I hate to be the one who, who has to go here, but, uh, you know, you, you did say in 2016 that the majority of Lyft rides uh, would be autonomous by 2021 um, and that uh, personal car ownership would be basically a thing of the past by 2025. Um, can you just like walk us through how that how you're thinking about this has has evolved um, uh, specifically in terms of like what is reasonable to expect from this technology? Yeah, so my optimism got ahead of me. Uh, I compare this to, you know, when I have two daughters, when, you know, they're in the car saying, are we there yet? And you say 20 minutes and 20 minutes later, you say 20 minutes. So uh, self-driving tech has been a little bit like that. Um, I still believe in what we've said, which is that the majority of lift rides will become uh, autonomous in, in urban cores and that car ownership will be financially irresponsible. Um, but we're not there yet. and. Uh, the, the decision was really about what I said, which is the long-term, what is the right long-term strategic focus for Lyft? Uh, it was acknowledging that, yes, to do this really well, it would require a lot of investment. Um, but primarily, it was around what we think is our best strategic position to be in. And, and uh, as you said, being agnostic is... I believe the better strategy and more clear that we're agnostic when we don't have our own effort. Yeah. And, and just to follow up a little bit on this, you know, one of the really interesting things for me is that as the, you know, the technology, even though perceptions have been sort of, you know, less optimistic now, you're, you're certainly not the only person who's less optimistic about AVs now than they were in 2016. That's a very common thing. Um, but the technology has made really remarkable progress in that time um, in terms of the driving piece. But there's also been sort of other aspects of the kind of consumer facing applications of AVs that have arisen. As you say, you know, everyone is sort of learning in real time about, about this technology and what it needs and, and what it requires to, to become a really good product. Um, was that part of it? Was, the, was that sort of like the, the challenge of having like a good user experience and sort of good customer service in a driverless application? Was, was that sort of related to this at all? Or, or am I just sort of taking other people's <laughs> learnings and applying them? Um, 
I don't think it's related to this. I mean, it's it's related to our, our desire to focus and where we think we can win is again with those kind of three three elements of having the hybrid network with human drivers and autonomous vehicles, which allows you to manage peaks and valleys, uh, having the marketplace technology, which allows you to be 10 to 30% more efficient and having the fleet services. And then at the core of Lyft is a customer experience. And you know, my background's in hospitality, not in technology. And so as you start talking about the customer experience for autonomous vehicles, I get really excited. You know, This is basically a, a room on wheels and you get to redesign what that experience is, is for, for an individual from the ground up. So while it's not perfectly related to this transaction, it's something I'm quite excited about. Uh, I, I, forgive me, when you say you're, you come from hospitality, uh, can you talk a little about that? I actually didn't know that you went to Cornell's School of Hotel Administration. And I thought I'd heard a few interviews with you, but I hadn't heard you talk about that. Tell us about how that guided your thinking here. Yeah, when I was 16, I started working at a Hyatt Hotel as a phone operator. Uh, so I used to say, good afternoon, Hyatt Regency, this is John. And uh, I got really excited about service. I, I love taking someone's experience and trying to make it better, uh, trying to put a smile on people's face through good service and tried to do that as a phone operator. Uh, you know, if something was broken in the room, would connect to engineering or housekeeping. Uh, if, if I heard kids in the background and something had been broken but fixed uh, in the room, I would try to send up milk and cookies. And that, that just gave me a lot of joy to try and spread uh, that feeling uh, to more people. And so I went and studied hospitality and, you know, literal hospitality in the hotel school often uses examples of hotels and restaurants. But by my senior year, I started thinking, what could be a more broad way or interesting industry to take the approach of hospitality to where it didn't necessarily exist? And the class I took senior year outside of the hotel school was in city planning. And I had this incredible professor and I started thinking, the city is the most important hospitality experience. And why is nobody thinking about the city as a hospitality experience? Um, if you think about the city either as a hospitality experience or a product, you should design it for the people living in it. And as I looked at cities, uh, particularly modern cities in, in the US, they were often built for the car and not for people. And that to me felt like a big miss. Uh, and that if we, got rid of car ownership or the requirement of car ownership uh, that uh, we could build cities for people and not cars. And that, that's what I'm passionate about. And that's why I'm working on Lyft. The, the, the reality, though, is, is that people do use cars to still get around cities and Lyft's business. Um, while the aim is for ride sharing, right? Um, we've all seen what happened with COVID. And so there was, first of all, a drop in in ride sharing altogether. People didn't feel comfortable with sharing. So how is autonomous vehicles going to to change that, to, to change the congestion problem? Because we haven't really seen that happen yet. Yeah, super important question. Uh, and, and fair for people, I think throughout the last almost nearly 10 years that we've been working on Lyft, people have questioned that, is that really what you're doing? Um, and I, and I think it's fair, but we're super early on. When we started and we said we were going to get people to ride in other people's cars. And by the way, we're putting a pink mustache on the front of those cars. People said, no, you're not. You're crazy. That That's actually not even allowed. Uh, and we, we got there and now we have three-minute ETAs across the country. That three-minute ETA competes with the car that's parked outside your apartment 
or in your in your garage. And that was necessary step one. Then we added shared rides, uh, which was part of step two. We've now added bikes and scooters. Uh, we own City Bike in New York City as, as well as many other systems. City Bike is now the largest bike share network in the world outside of China. Um, we have now rental cars, uh, quiet effort not many people know about, uh, consu- consumer rentals uh, that really make a much easier experience. You can tap a button, a lift picks you up, you get brought to the car and you can go. Uh, and we have a few more tricks up our sleeves over the next couple of years that we think provides a comprehensive transportation solution. It includes a car. I'm not saying cars go away. I'm saying the need to own a car outright and spend $9,000 every year owning and operating it, of which you use it 4% of the time, we can beat that. We can do better than that. It's not going to happen in a year. It's not going to happen in a couple of years. It's going to take another probably decade uh, to really fully fill it out, mm-hmm. but it will happen. And, uh, and that's what we're working towards. I know that, um, and this is something I've talked emotional about, which is uh, one of your partners in Las Vegas. Emotional. But the idea, <laughs> the idea that it will never, once autonomous vehicles become commercialized, uh, a, a robo taxi network um, or a ride hailing network, I should say, will not only be comprised of driverless vehicles. That, like the business model, in your view, is that it has to be a mix of human and, you know, robo taxis. Is that an accurate assessment of Lyft's feelings about that? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We don't see any way you could serve customers well with just autonomous vehicles. And also not just serve customers well, but is that how the business model works in terms of profitability, like maintaining profitability. So having that flexibility um, to, you know, use humans in some cases and use, you know, robots and others. Yeah. The best way that I, that for me to think about it is, you know, at 9am, let's say there's a market that needs a million vehicles. And at noon, let's say that same market when everyone's eating lunch and not commuting to and from work only needs a hundred thousand vehicles. And that's not a crazy situation. Actually, throughout the week, the, the demand can 10x, right? Depending on the time. So do you buy 100,000 autonomous vehicles or a million autonomous vehicles? Either way, or 500,000 or, uh, you know, 550, whatever's right down the middle. Um, any of those answers is wrong <laughs> yeah, or, or just a really bad business. Your utilization is horrible. You have to pass on way more cost to customers. Because you can't manage the, the demand peaks uh, or the valleys. Um, and so by having driver uh, vehicles with drivers in them, as well as autonomous vehicles, you can more um, manage the, the supply and demand equilibrium needed uh, and then have the right price for the right customer at the right time. So I, in, the, in the near, medium, and even long term, human drivers will be a part of this equation. Can I? Can you um, talk a little bit about about sort of what your relationship is going to be like with the, the companies that will offer um, autonomous vehicles on your platform? Is Lyft going to like validate that their safety performs to a certain level? Like, are there going to be, you know, tests or or checks or something? I just what what is that relationship like? What is, what is Lyft's role and and really responsibilities um, in in this sort of new paradigm? Well, when it comes to safety, I think both sides will be validating that. I mean, I believe that the the the, the makers of the self-driving systems 
shouldn't be putting out the technology until they've done that work. And then we will also uh, check that work given that uh, we are going to be uh, partnering with them to bring it to our riders. Um, so that'll be one part of it. But I think the primary uh, relationship is around managing the marketplace um, and making sure that their vehicles operate well and for the partner, maximize the revenue per mile and minimize the cost per mile. Um, you mentioned before when you were talking about your history and sort of reimagining um, you know, hospitality in the vehicle and the opportunity that autonomous vehicles provide. So will Lyft control that experience as the sort of network platform provider or the fleet manager? Or will Woven Planet or Emotional control that experience? We expect to have an important role in that experience. I don't think it's perfectly known now. Uh, between, the, I think you need both parties. Uh, obviously, the design, the interior, the functionality of the vehicle are part of the customer experience, uh, as is the interface between the app uh, and and the vehicle. And and we we also want you know when you think about uh, maybe Virgin America and that cabin experience that that they used to have. Um, and our former creative director was the creative director there, and he created. I miss those planes. I really do. It was so really. good. It was like so they took whatever the I don't know if it was uh, what company Boeing uh, or whoever made the vehicle uh, made the plane, but they made the cabin experience. Virgin America designed the cabin experience, and for me, made me feel better flying. Um, and so that's I think how you could think about what Lyft can do uh, for a vehicle experience. There's, I remember the the videos that Virgin America used to run at the beginning of the flights were um, those videos were probably the most comforting and engaging videos I've ever seen on any plane, except for Air France about eight or nine years ago. And what how far back airlines have stepped? Like I'm loyal to JetBlue now, if only because they were at one time they made me feel that way. They don't they no longer do. Uh, and I, I actually use Lyft over. Uber because I feel this affinity for the the mustache. <laughs> I can't quantify it, but it's there. <laughs> I can't quantify it. I'm curious about something you said earlier. You said that you had a three minute ETA nationwide. Where? What is? I, I was in Phoenix recently. I, I didn't see a three minute ETA. Where does that number come from? Where does that come from? It comes from you know the average ETA that's visible to the customer uh, over the last few years. Now, right now. Uh, in this moment or in the last few months, uh, we're coming out of a pandemic and, and the market had, need, needs a little time to get back into balance. So, you know, when the pandemic started and the business was cut in half, uh, we had way more supply or drivers than we did demand or riders. And now the opposite is true, uh, where we have way more demand as, as more and more individuals gets vaccinated uh, and back to their normal routines. Uh, and less drivers uh, on the platform because uh, they went and did other things when there wasn't demand there. And so it'll take, uh, you know, hopefully a few more weeks uh, to to get back to those levels. But historically, that is where we're operating in terms of ETA. In the future, when, uh, I mean, I think it'll take a while, you have two or more autonomous vehicle companies in the same city. And they come to you. How do you see it playing out in terms of how they interface with Lyft and provide autonomous rides in that city? 
what do you see the relationship looking like with a, in a multi AV environment in a single market? A relationship between with the customer or with between the two companies or like uh, both the two companies come to the table. They both offer three dollars, whatever the number is per mile, four dollars, ten dollars, whatever it is. Do you see like a, a market developing between yourselves and the AV developers? I mean, I, the developers may have different vehicles, different form factors. Yeah, I think I think I really think that's where we can excel. Lift the Lift network. Again, for those providers, we can offer them the best business proposition because of the technology we've built, because we do fleet management. Our competition doesn't do fleet management. Typically, these AV uh, platforms don't do fleet management, but you can't have clean, wonderful, well-operated, low-cost operations without fleet management. And so I think we bring a lot more to the table. Plus, from the brand perspective and the design perspective and the sense of hospitality, I really believe we can deliver a better overall experience to riders. And so the reason you're you know, loyal to JetBlue and previously loved the Virgin America experience is because of the, that, that hospitality or design that went into to the product. And I actually think there's way more we can do uh, versus uh, airlines. Hmm. Um, we have to we have to wrap up pretty soon here. But um, I was wondering sort of what would you say to... Lyft riders um, who like the service and are excited about the prospect of, of AVs um, being more available. I know that they're already available and um, you can get with the Lyft app, I think, in, in Chandler and in Las Vegas. Um, but correct me if there's more. I, what would you say to them um, about sort of what they can expect uh, for sort of AVs on the on the Lyft platform sort of going forward? So number one is, is safety. Uh, and so uh, we will work with partners uh, that prioritize safety. Uh, and remember the the you know the whole reason why I'd say one of the primary factors why autonomous technology is so important is because unfortunately hundreds of people are killed every day across the world uh, in auto accidents, and so safety is the primary goal, uh, and we will want to only work with partners that that prioritize that. And number two, uh, an enjoyable experience at the right cost. Uh, and Lyft has focused on hospitality. You know, you can call it the brand, uh, but holistically, that's a sense of caring about people uh, and, and taking care of our drivers and riders. Uh, and autonomous is going to be one of the next th- ways that we can take better care uh, of our riders. John, I want to know who you won't work with then, because you mentioned that you only work with safe companies. Uh I, I didn't. I don't have a, a company in mind that, that I won't work with. Uh, but at the moment of truth, when uh, we're determining uh, the safety of the product, uh, we'll we'll make that call. Okay. Well, we'll I be. Work with, uh, I won't work with our competitors, Uber. So okay. There you go. <laughs> I know that Ed has to go, but I've got another question I want to ask. Ed, you might want to drop off for this one and see him get feisty. Uh oh. Go ahead. I can I can stay on for a couple more minutes. I mean, I one can speculate. An autonomous vehicle developer, promotional. Um, do you have an exclusive arrangement with them in Las Vegas? Uh, I don't know that we've commented on uh, the nature of the contract, but but what I've said, you know, earlier in this conversation is our focus is not uh, on having exclusive relationships. We want to bring the best products to market and uh, and do that uh, in a mostly agnostic way. I I understand and I respect the answer. I'm curious because I'm asked this question frequently. What happens if someone, an AV developer, developer X, 
there is now ready to deploy in city C. How a company like a Lyft that is known for having a more optimal customer experience than perhaps another company, your competitor, um, how one secures those AVs into your network and uh, why someone would want to book one through you as opposed to someone else if the AV is how you control that experience if, the, if you don't own the car. Like, how do you bind the customer to the AV to you if it's not an exclusive arrangement? Yeah, again, I think that goes to the, the fleet management that we have uh, and the, the better marketplace tech that we're developing. And so uh, the, the pitch to the AV providers is that we can operate your vehicle, uh, bring the most revenue in the, at the lowest cost to you. Uh, and, uh, and again, part of that is being able to manage a fleet of vehicles. Uh, and then I do think there'll be more differentiation when it comes to the in-cabin experience, the in-car experience. Uh, and so I do think we're going to be able to create something. We've already done some, some work, some vision exercises on that. Uh, I do think there's going to be a much greater ability to differentiate that experience uh, when it becomes a room on wheels. I'll tell you, in favor of what you're saying, I find that I could call American Airlines to book a flight, but I hate it. Calling them is the worst thing in the world. But I have no problem call, you know, booking an American through Expedia, knowing that Expedia will provide a UI, UX buffer that will have a better outcome than if I, if I have an issue than going to American Airlines directly. So I think that it's possible. <laughs> yeah, it's more possible than you know when you get to control the entire cabin experience too, uh, which is not something uh, you know we're able to do today. So we should look forward to a Virgin America like cabin experience. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I want that, That's that's <laughs> the bar. I want to. I want to beat that. I think okay. we can do. Well, actually, you could NFT the lighting and music <laughs> in the vehicle when booked, if and when booked through a lift. But if anyone else books that vehicle through any other platform, it you don't get that lighting. You actually can't. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. All right. On that uh, on that breakthrough, um, John, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to uh, chat with us about this. It was fun. Thanks for having me, yeah, John. I'll be pitching you the NFT in cabin thing. Uh, next I'm ready. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that was lovely talking to John. Um, I'd like to uh, ramble briefly once again and search for a point that supports my point of view, but I won't. I think we should just say goodbye. I'm Alex Roy, the uh, columnist at Ground Truth. You know, it's a very long list of things I do. Ed, you, you go next, and then we'll go. Thanks for tuning in to the Atonicast. <laughs>